Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast, Friday, August 20th. August camp winding down for Clemson. And, man, we have been hitting it hard, Paul Strilo and I. And we were just talking earlier this morning, not to beat our chests or anything, but we're proud of, of, of the depth of covers that we provide, the different ideas, the, the, the assorted mailbags through the week, the what coaches are telling us, on top of all the important nuggets that we're picking up uh, from the practices. Again, not to sound too full of ourselves here, but we're proud of the product we provide, and we don't think there's anything like it in the Clemson market. So if you're out there and you haven't signed up yet, now is a wonderful time to do it at TigerIllustrated.com. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 990 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Okay, our first conversation with David Pascal, Chattanooga Times Free Press, Georgia writer. Keep in mind, this occurred several days ago before the news about Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith. All right, here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by my, my good friend, long time, man. It's been two decades. Is that is that real? 20 years, I guess, we've known each other. Yeah, it has. And, Larry, it's a pleasure to be on here. You've always been great about coming on my show in, in Chattanooga. So it is, uh, it is nice to return the favor. All right, I'm curious. How do you – so, all right, obviously you still – uh, right for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, but you cover in Georgia and also other SEC schools, none of which are in Chattanooga, so quite a bit of travel. And you still have a you have a radio show like Monday through Friday. Yeah, three to six in the afternoon, and uh, actually starting last year, Larry, I added Tennessee to my plate, so um, I actually covered more Tennessee than Georgia last year, and I'll cover more Tennessee than Georgia this year. But the schedule works out to where Tennessee opens on a Thursday night, September 2nd against Bowling Green. So two nights later, I'll get to be in Charlotte. Um, and then Tennessee does not play when Georgia and Florida play. So, you know, Georgia's got that really unique schedule this year because really when you think about it, their home schedule 
is not great. I mean, their three biggest games are Clemson and Charlotte, Florida, and Jacksonville and Auburn and Auburn. So the Sanford stadium schedule this year is pretty weak. Uh, pro- maybe not as weak as Clemson's home, <laughs> home schedule. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something else, but so I'm just, cu- I'm just curious. Uh, so like, for example, a few years ago, Georgia plays at LSU. Do you do your radio show on Friday and then head for Baton Rouge? How does that work? That now that is uh, there are a couple of times a year where and, and the and the game in Jacksonville is is one I've covered for I don't know twenty three straight years or something like that so that's one that uh, they have to get a fill in for me on a Friday I'll call in from the road type of thing um, but but no that there are a couple of times a year where yeah I absolutely have to bail on a Friday or else I'll be getting to my destination in the wee hours of the morning. Is the radio thing something sort of you fell into or actually something you aspired to and sort of worked, worked your way into? Well, as you know, uh, our business through the years have, you know, kind of had the challenges and, and I guess one way to combat it is to, uh, you know, move up the ladder via a bigger market. That can be in all uh, media forms, whether it's a bigger newspaper, a bigger TV station, a bigger radio market. Um, And then another way is just to try to do as much as you can in the same market. And so back in 2013, um, you know, I proposed to the paper uh, the possibility of doing this and and because the station was interested in it and the paper saw it as an extension of the paper. So it's in a way it's a it's a three hour infomercial for the paper because we talk about articles that have been in the Chattanooga Times Free Press, whether it's a big high school football preview of a game or or you know, something that's happened around town that that's non-sports related. So it's, it's been a win-win and obviously I hope that can uh, continue. I've, I've various times over the years, I've been on the radio, like the local radio station here, WCCP, the flagship station. There was a time where I would go in for a couple hours once or twice a week with a friend's to a friend's radio show. And, and I've, I've resolved that, I am just not a, enough of a sports junkie to have a, a to fill 15 hours a week. Uh, like if somebody called me and asked me what I thought of the latest happenings with like the Braves, I I, I would I would be able to say nothing. Uh, it's a are you just a natural at that? You just you you're you kind of a sports junkie. You keep up with everything. Or are you more specialized? Like how does that work? Well, you bring up a, a very good point because like, yes, there is a nerd aspect to me. I mean, you can ask me a college football, I can tell you every iron bowl score from the last 40 years. I can tell you who won the national championship, who won the Heisman trophy. I love the masters. And so I can tell you every masters winner of the last 40 years. Um, but you're exactly right. The, when you do radio, you have to uh, certainly hone up on the Braves. I mean, we are a Braves affiliate. I think we're the biggest uh, market outside of Atlanta that carries the Braves. And so I've got to know my Braves. I've got to know my Falcons and I've got to know my Titans, but it is just a huge college football area. I mean, we are so close to, you know, when you think about just leaving Chattanooga within five hours, you can drive to Knoxville, you can drive to uh, Lexington, you can drive to Nashville, you can drive to Birmingham, you can drive to, I mean, excuse me, Tuscaloosa, you can drive to Auburn, you can drive to Athens, you can drive to Columbia. So, I mean, you get a huge chunk of the SEC 
um, you know, and, and UTC is, there's a little bit of a, a niche for UTC, but not a big one. And, but again, it's a, it's a good high school football area and, you know, kind of back to our talking about balancing both things. Uh, when you talk about, man, I could never fill 15 hours. I, I have those same challenges, especially in like June, but, uh, you know, Mark Weedmer is our longtime columnist at the times free press. And so today at four twenty, we have our Wednesdays with weeds, uh, at four twenty and it's weeds. Yeah. It's four twenty every Wednesday. We have our Wednesdays with weeds. <laughs> And then uh, Stephen Hargis is like our just guru on the high school front. I mean, I've never seen anyone dominate a storyline. Like if there is a coaching change or, or like a scandal in high school football, I mean, he breaks every single story along those lines. And so, um, you know, we cover like 52 high schools in our area, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, and into Alabama. And so, I mean, ten, uh, Stephen just always has the pulse on that. So we have, we have Stephen on, I'm not going to say we have him on every week, but it's pretty close. So again, it's a, uh, that's kind of the whole times free press infomercial type thing. Cause I, I'm always relying on, on those two to contribute because they're, they're so knowledgeable on different stuff. You, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, but just the, the, dramatic changes in sort of the the newspaper industry and really the overall media landscape. I mean, 20 years ago when we were both covered Georgia, I was in Augusta. And back then, I mean, I remember, you know, getting out of college in my first few years working for the Augusta paper and even the Charleston paper when I moved on to cover Clemson. You know, you, you see like in the press box, you know, you see uh, Mark Bradley or Tony Barnhart uh, Furman Bisher, even when he was, uh, the late Furman Bisher, when he was still working and those people are larger than life. Um, you know, Barnhart, Mr. College football, you can't, you have to read him. He's essential. And even like the beat guys, Mark Schlaball just did a tremendous job. You know, I remember looking at those guys and being like, wow, it'd be amazing to be able to do that at the AJC. And whereas now, uh, you couldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a job with the AJC because it's just turned upside down almost. Uh, what do you make of the overall landscape? Not necessarily with newspapers totally, but just from the perspective of what has happened to the voices, like the influential voices that cover college football, I guess mainly in terms of, a, of an overall perspective. It's just it's kind of a shell of what it used to be. Am I right? Yeah, and it's funny when you start reeling off those names because you give the exact same press, uh, impression of the way I, I go around. I mean, I am, you, you know, there is, there's a lot of arrogance in our industry. I mean, we've all met people that are just like, whoa, that guy thinks he just is hot <laughs> snot. But I'm like, when you start talking about like Jack Wilkinson and Steve Hummer, you know, on top of the Mark Bradleys of the world, and, and you think about the lineup that the AJC had 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, I remember just reading their stuff and, and just looking in the mirror going, I'm nowhere close to that. <laughs> I mean, it was, you're exactly right. I mean, those guys were phenomenal. And we actually had Mark Bradley on our show uh, about a month ago, just because I've always loved Mark. I thought he was just great at getting right to the point. Yep. And, and just, uh, I mean, he's, he's just, he's been unbelievable for years. And he had the funniest story about, you know, cause he got to the AJC around 84, I guess it was 83 or 84. And so he went seven straight 
Falcons seasons and seven straight brave seasons without covering a winner. So he went 14, <laughs> he had like a 14 season cycle of Braves and Falcons without covering a winner. Of course, the Braves provided him a lot of good times and the, you know, the Falcons have too, but uh, you know, some up and downs, but no, I mean, I do, I, I cherish that stuff. And, and yes, we, we have now morphed into the world where there's kind of, there's more of a, I don't know if it's a hot take shock value, stuff like that. And this didn't just happen yesterday. I mean, this has been going on for several years now. I mean, it's just, you know, you, you, you've got the clickbait term where, uh, you know, you'll see a, a site that says, has this five star changed his mind? And you click on it and, and there's like, no, no, he hasn't <laughs> changed his mind. I mean, it, it's that kind of stuff where it yes. has degraded our industry Horrible. and it's just, you know, and it, it is, it's one of those that, Gosh, I mean, we're talking Atlanta, but if you kick things over to to Birmingham, Larry, I mean, the, the Birmingham News has printed three days a week now for I don't know how long. Um, you know, they have a they have a Sunday print section to recap the Alabama Auburn games, but they don't have uh, you know they don't they don't have a Saturday print section to recap the the high school, and so I think they go Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. I mean, Monday, Wednesday, Sunday, or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I know it's three days a week, and I know it's through the you know I think it's Huntsville, I think it's Birmingham, Mobile. They're all in that same chain, along with New Orleans. New Orleans has been printing three days a week, so you know it's sad. And I mean, I I mean I know I know we'll only talk for about thirty minutes, but I could go thirty hours on the subject of you know if you go back and do the history. I mean, there is just this phenomenal history with SEC football or college football in general and uh, the newspaper industry. I mean, you think about just some of the terms through the years that that were labeled, uh, you know, by sports writers back in the 1920s and 1930s, and and even even the swamp down at Florida. I mean, Steve Spurrier conferred with Mike Bianchi uh, yeah. on a, on the nickname, and you know, and it, it, it's stuff like that. And and of course, now every single move that is happening in college athletics is television related, whether it's conference realignment, uh, you know, whether it's expanding the college football playoff, and and I'm just not. You know, I, I just I'm not a fan of of a lot of this stuff. And, and, and you know, it's one of these things that uh, I thought when the SEC added South Carolina and Arkansas back in 1992, you know, to go from 10 to 12. I mean, I thought that was fine because you were still playing a lot of teams from the opposite divisions. And then in 2012, when they added Texas A&M and Missouri, and it's nothing against those universities, but ever since then, the league has just felt huge. I mean, Texas A&M joined in 2012, and I don't think Georgia goes to College Station until like 2024. I mean, that's ridiculous. Wow. Missouri still hadn't come to Auburn. I mean, they're just the, the, the conference just feels gigantic. I mean, I went to, I'm an Auburn graduate, and, and Auburn used to play Tennessee and Florida every year. And of course that changed when the divisions happened in 1992, but, but now you'll have an Auburn, Tennessee or Auburn, Florida game once every seven years. And that's just gross to me. Sort of sticking with the same topic of sort of how much things have changed with that, uh, the media and all that Georgia and Kirby smart, the access to be kind is not good. Uh, for, for the media, what has that been like for you as you try to sort of, I mean, every newspaper or every reporter worth his credential is constantly trying to get beneath the surface to learn more about what he's covering so he can tell his readers 
more about uh, what he or she is covering. And so what, what has that been like for you? Uh, because I remember, of course, I know we sound like dinosaurs here back in, you know, in, in my day, <laughs> in our day back when Jim Donnan and Mark Rick were there, it was kind of like you could talk to pretty much whoever you wanted to talk to. Uh, you were embraced. And, and now it's like, seems like the opposite where they're trying like hell not to give you anything. Or am I being too extreme there? No, no. I mean, that is, um, but it's interesting. And this is where I try to have a little more of a balanced perspective just in my unique role of being responsible for multiple teams. I mean, I don't cover any of, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama to the detail that you cover Clemson, but it's one of these things where you're exactly right. When Mark Rick first got there, uh, the coaching and player availability was through the roof. I mean, I remember having lunch at McWhorter Hall (laughs) in Athens where you'd be sitting at the table with Brian Van Gorder and Willie Martinez. And it was just like, you know, they'd be like, you know, I, I got married in 2000 and, and Willie'd be like, hey, how's the how's the married life treating you? And, you know, it's, it was stuff like that. I mean, they realized we didn't bite. I mean, we were <laughs> we were normal people that were married that were starting to raise families just like they were. And so, you know, it, it I don't know if it's just because of the you know, I know that, you know, I guess in, in 2002, you had rivals and scout, correct? Come aboard. Yep, and yep. then, um, and then there've been others that have joined, you know, I guess scouts fallen by the wayside, but you know, 24 seven comes along. You've had other, I know their demands through the years have increased and I get that. I get that, but it, it is an extreme when, when, uh, Georgia has two, just kind of random players yesterday. Uh, They'll have a couple more, I would assume, tomorrow, and then Kirby after the second scrimmage on Saturday. And, of course, last week's Georgia availability was the defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, last Tuesday. You had Todd Munkin last Thursday, and then you had Kirby after the first scrimmage. So Georgia went all week last week without providing a player. And so that's kind of a, I mean, and it is, it is a frustrating dynamic, uh, especially for those like a Mark Weiser, who's been on that beat, a Chip Towers, who's been on that beat for a long time. Uh, You know, of course, in the case of Alabama, that is so incredibly structured to where when Saban speaks, I mean, there have been Saban press conferences that have been as quick as five and a half minutes. (laughs) And that's with like a minute and a half opening statement. Um, you know, sometimes they just really restore things. So uh, 10 minutes, if, if Saban's still speaking after 10 minutes, he's getting, I would imagine, pretty ticked off. And Josh Maxson knows to <laughs> end that thing really quick. But and I tell you, the, the Georgia and Bama examples just to set up what Tennessee's doing, because, you know, last year with Jeremy Pruitt, I mean, that was a Saban disciple. So, um, you know, you would get a couple of players a week on a you get Pruitt on a Monday at lunch, you'd get a couple of players on Tuesday around lunch, and then you'd get Pruitt after practice, you know, around dinner time Wednesday. And that was all you got from, from Tennessee. Um, but Josh Heupel has come in and has made all of his assistance and has just dumped all of his roster to where they have been available. It's been wild. It's, you know, it's kind of wild. You know, the media will complain about everything, but like, you know, the only, the, you know, the, the only thing you can complain about with Tennessee is like earlier this week, they had uh, a couple of receivers and the running backs coach. It'd be good to have them like all, you know, a couple of receivers and the receivers coach, but that's just being 
nitpicky compared to some of the what the other writers in the league are having to do that have much stricter guidelines they're having to adhere to. Do you think, I mean, because it's natural and, and fair, I think, to say, okay, these coaches, there's so much more money at stake. Therefore, they're so much more paranoid about controlling the message because any kind of random quote, you know, where, whereas it used to be in a newspaper the next day, now, you know, five seconds later, it's a it goes viral all over social media. Coaches are more paranoid now. That that seems to be a fact. But in all in, in fairness, we have played a role in this too. In that, you know, the old way of doing things was if you criticize a coach or whoever, you're there the next day in person, and you have a relationship with that coach that you're criticizing, and so you might have it out with that coach the next day. But you move on, and the relationship continues. Versus now, man, it's just—it's such a murky sort of uh, relationship, or it's not even a relationship, I guess, because it, sort of the national folks are now the ones who are the you know full of hot takes and, and taking those shots like right away when they don't even really have a you know the full context of a press conference or a question and answer session. And now coaches are just like, well, shoot, why in the world should I give these people access? to my players. Is that, is that valid to you? That, that part of it? Oh, I, I mean, everything you just said was spot on. I, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. The media is a, there's a lot of blame to go around with the media and how this is all transpired. I mean, there have been countless examples of media members just using a fragment of an entire quote that takes it completely out of context, uh, just to get a tweet that has a bunch of retweets and likes and stuff like that. So absolutely. But I thought, uh, you know, bringing, bringing in a couple of people, we We've already talked about Kirby Smart and Mark Bradley. Uh, Kirby, um, the the one that he the 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 news conference that he had, or the Zoom call, I should say, that he had not last Saturday, but the Saturday before, uh, he was asked, you know, because Bradley was like Claude Felton called on him fairly deep into the into the Zoom call, and Mark Bradley goes, you know, Kirby, so far today, you've been asked about your vaccination rate. Yeah, you've been asked about you've been asked about Oklahoma and Texas coming into the league, and you've been asked about name, image, and likeness deals. Uh, is this what you signed up for? <laughs> and it was a great question, yeah. and and uh, it's why Mark Bradley's Mark Bradley, and uh, and and Kirby's like, you know, he's like just. I, just what I just told you, I agree with everything you've just said. He's like, no, this isn't what you sign up for. Um, you know, I sign up for the the building relationships with the kids. You know, I wanted to be a coach, but you find yourself much more of a manager than a coach. And uh, no, I just thought it was a, a really good question and a, and a really good, honest response. What is your sort of initial take on this matchup on September 4th? Uh, such a captivating uh, clash between two ridiculously talented teams. And, and I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but uh, just to sort of segue into this, I did a uh, – over the summer, I added up all the, the combined five stars, former five stars of the uh, of this matchup uh, on both rosters, five star, former five stars, compared with their last matchup in 2014. And those 2014, those two teams were pretty freaking talented. You know, yeah, Deshaun Watson, Todd Gurley, uh, you know, those, those weren't yeah, pushovers. Yeah, as a freshman yes. breaking one at the end. Those weren't pushovers. Those two teams combined for seven former five stars, by my math. 
the current two teams combined for 26. This That's is incredible. This could be one of those, you know, how they, you know, we, we continue to talk about the old Miami, uh, Florida State matchups, and then more recently, those Alabama LSU matchups and how much NFL talent they produce. This feels like that in that same sort of category. It does. And it's funny, you bring up Alabama LSU. There were a couple of, uh, NFL scouting directors that that used to help me out with articles. I've never been a huge fan of writing anonymous stories, but once a year I would write a story about the Alabama LSU game and use a couple of anonymous uh, NFL scouting directors who were great because they would like rank the top 10 players in this Saturday night's Alabama LSU game. But no, I mean, it's a, uh, it's going to be yes. Talent galore. Um, and, you know, credit to credit to Dabo, because, I mean, it seems like Clemson's 11, 12 and beyond win seasons happened a little bit before their recruiting got into that one, two, three, four national yeah. type of deal. And so um, wh- whereas Georgia, Georgia's always, you know, been way up there in those rankings. But, uh, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I love the matchup of uh, just like everybody else, uh, Georgia's offense against Clemson's defense. I think uh, obviously one of the keys to the game, you, you know, because Clemson's had some issues up front offensively in, in camp staying healthy, right? Haven't they had a setback or two and Georgia's had a setback or two. And so when you look at at what these two teams have up front defensively. I mean, I think that could certainly uh, factor into to the game because you know Clemson wants to be healthy up front to avoid you know Jordan Davis having a big game Ooh, and and yeah. you know vice versa if you're Georgia because I mean you've got Warren Erickson. Um, you know, an interesting situation there learning, you know, trying to snap right-handed, uh, after, you know, after, you know, breaking a bone in his left hand. So, uh, just kind of a interesting deal on that front, but I, you know, I just, again, I, th- I think the, the Georgia offense against the Clemson defense could be a whole lot of fun. So naturally it'll probably be the reverse of that besides <laughs> the outcome is the bigger concern for Georgia right now. Those issues that you mentioned on the offensive line or at receiver where they've had so many injuries, not just George Pickens, but Eric Gilbert's out. Uh, I don't know, I guess indefinitely Darnell Washington's hurt. Um, Kyrus Jackson's hurt. And then a couple more, right? Yeah. I mean, and that was news to a lot of people that Jermaine Burton uh, suffered an ankle injury, like the first couple of days of, uh, of, of preseason camp. And so um, he was an absolute star as a uh, freshman last year. So, I mean, that, that's certainly a, a factor. You think about um, Dominic Blaylock has yeah. been nice when he's healthy, but you know, he's not going to be back from all indications of, you know, with the ACL he suffered a year ago, just, you know, trying to get back. And of course, no pickings because that happened in March, but um, yeah, I mean, Adane Mitchell, as a freshman from Texas that, that has been getting a lot of rave reviews and and practice um, recently that, that a lot of people think he could have a similar type of impact that, that Jermaine Burton did last year for them. So um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it, it does absolutely cause you to temper the expect, I mean, when you think about like JT Daniels, you've got a full year of him and, and the potential there. You've got your top five running backs. I mean, you're so deep at running back if you're Georgia, but then you're just kind of like, okay, what's the 
you know, what's the deal at receiver? Are you going to have enough to, to kind of make things work? And, the, and, and that, yeah. that's ahead, on sorry. top of the line issue. I mean, that's on top of the Erickson. I mean, if Erickson can't snap right-handed to Smart's liking, I mean, Kirby's already said he's going to move him to guard and give give somebody else a shot. And, and I mean, you've got a, a very versatile, talented guy like Jamari Sawyer, but, uh, you know, will you wind up using Sawyer at his best position or the position that will help you the most given some other setback-type deals? And, heck, who is the last – you know, team to win these types of games. And I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking national championship games without that dynamic playmaker out on the outside or playmakers, plural. I mean, you probably have to go back to <laughs> LSU in 07, I guess, when they had kind of an ordinary offense maybe. But, I mean, that, that that's how you, how you win these types of games now, it seems, right? Yeah. It is, and I mean, it's not like those guys don't exist on either of these rosters. Well, so, I'm, I'm talking I mean, mainly about Georgia, just with yeah, their attrition. Yeah, because I mean, obviously with Ross back, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, pretty good. But you know, I mean, Larry, the plan is still for for Burton and Kiris Jackson to be good to go. Yeah, and, I mean, the top three receivers for Georgia last year were were uh, Jackson, Burton, and and Pickens, and so you'll have two of the three that are. I mean, so I have not read anything or, or even heard anything off the record that leads me to believe that that they won't be uh, full strength on the fourth. Gotcha, uh, David. We you were in Clemson in '03. Uh, when Georgia came in season opener, it was about 119 degrees noon game. And that was supposed to be Clemson's coming out party. Uh, and they got just crushed 30 to nothing with David Pollock, David Green, Fred Gibson. And at that time, Dabo Sweeney was a first year receivers coach who had been in commercial real estate for two years. People wondered why Bowden even hired him. During that era, it was Clemson was just this chronic underachiever. You're wondering if they'll ever get back to national prominence. From the outside looking in, how, what have you made of what has happened here? Uh, it's the sort of the majestic sort of uh, tapestry, I guess. The, 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 I, I guess I'm getting into Mark Bradley, trying to want to be Mark Bradley territory here with these words, but the, the Dabo has weaved – uh, just amazing on, on by any definition uh, what what he's done what what does it look like from the outside looking in real quick back to that 03 game I left uh, Chattanooga at 6 a.m <laughs> and got to the Clemson Anderson exit at nine I mean I flew I actually I should say 915 it was actually closer to 915 I got to that exit at 915 and pulled into my parking spot at 1145. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half hours of traffic. And you're exactly right. It was just a sauna. And so going from the car to the press box, I mean, I was a bit gamey. And then I looked over and saw weeds, <laughs> and, and Weaver was just soft wet. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and that's uh, the, the other thing I'll remember about that game, I'll, I'll never forget sitting in traffic for two and a half hours. Uh, but I'll also never forget, you know, because I, I went to Clemson games a couple of times uh, when I was in high school and college, and, you, you, you know, the the dynamic of letting the fans on the field after yeah. the game has always been very interesting to me. Uh, and then when you talk about a 30 to nothing game where Odell Thurman and Thomas Davis are just teeing oh. off on anything Clemson <laughs> could do that day. Uh, I actually was near Tommy Bowden and heard him have to endure 
uh, several, several unpleasant things that I would not uh, <laughs> want to repeat. But you know, back to your question, I mean, you know, Tommy Bowden did a very nice job there. And, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of think about it in stages. And I guess stage one would have been the 08 Chick-fil-A game where, where Alabama just handed it to Clemson. Yeah. And, and, and then what, five or six games later, Tommy Bowden says, I'm done. Uh, Dabo gets it on an interim roll or whatever the case may be. And, you know, you had a situation where for a couple of years there, nothing really looked any different. And then, and I, you know, I think when, when LSU in that peach bowl game, uh, I thought that was kind of a huge step for that program because, I mean, it, it just showed that they could take a, a team in the SEC, may, maybe not a national championship team, uh, but certainly an LSU and, and, you know, a team that, that has tons and tons of talent. And so uh, I thought that was a big step in Clemson's progression. And then it, it is, I mean, when you ask about it, it does blow the mind because Larry, for years, I thought, I thought there wasn't a greater job in college football than Florida State. I mean, it was just one of those when you think about the location, you think about the talent, uh, the climate, everything about it, uh, you know, the history it was rocking up. And then you think about its path to the BCS championship game at the time or, or you know, and then the, then the playoff. But uh, the job that, that Dabo has done, and it really does show you how much money plays into college sports because – the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and the Georgias of the world have broken away. And I'm sure there are others like Ohio State. I just, I'm not in that part of the country that can. But you're talking about programs that have absolutely invested in facilities, support staffs. I mean, all, every budget, recruiting, everything you can do, they have built. And so a, a Clemson all of a sudden looks far more financially robust than a Florida state. Yeah. Just like an Alabama looks more robust than a lot of, a lot of teams in the sec through the years that have racked up league championships like Auburn and Tennessee type thing. Um, you know, I know Auburn's working on the, they've, they've announced groundbreaking for a new facility, but I mean, it's just Bama is just rolling in that area. Georgia is rolling in that area. Clemson is rolling in that area. So, I mean, it, it really does show the, the finances and how some teams have broken away from others financially that you may not have thought of. Cause like I said, I thought Florida state was the, the best job in this country for years, but, um, you know, and then to just go toe to toe with Alabama, I was not there for the game out in Arizona, but I was, you know, I did see you down there in Tampa covering that one. Um, you know, that, that just put them on the map and then to do what they did to Alabama and the Bay area, I mean, was unbelievable. Nobody thought that could happen to a saving team. So it has, it has absolutely been remarkable. I, I like I said, I think the, the LSU win in the peach bowl kind of gave them some clout, uh, that they just continued to build and build, but, but they invested when other teams and other programs didn't. And you've seen it in the sec, which is why Alabama and Georgia picked to win their leagues every year, their divisions. David Pascal, you do a great job and, uh, man, glad to finally have you on the podcast and looking forward to September 4th, man. It should be a lot of fun. That will be fun. That will be fun. What a what a monster get for Charlotte. And uh, you know, I I don't know how much longer these games have when you think about 
Um, you know, I know, I know these two teams are going to play, uh, in Atlanta down the road, uh, for Gary Stoken, but, you know, I talked to Stoken at SEC media days and, and these things are harder and harder for him to land, uh, because you've got a lot of programs that are announcing home and homes now and not doing the neutral site thing. So what a great get for, for Charlotte. They've never had one of this magnitude. Well, if Georgia ends up in Clemson later on as planned, I will give you some backup directions that you can get here maybe a little more quickly. <laughs> some <laughs> shortcuts. <laughs> you sound like some of the people that asked me about Auburn because, I mean, that's one of the places <laughs> I don't complain about just because I know the ins and outs. So, yes, the next time I'm there, and what a great place Clemson is. Uh, yes, the next time, uh, next time I'm there, that would be awesome. All right, David. Thank you so much. All right, enjoy it, Larry. Take care. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word? about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. All right, joined by Dane Young from our sister site. Why is it called sister? Why not brother, cousin site? Like, uh, I'm not sure how it became known as sister. UGSports.com. All in the family, I guess. <laughs> we're, all related. we're all related somehow, I guess. But um, appreciate you joining us. The really want to dig into this uh, amazing, compelling matchup on, on September 4th. But also want to talk some industry stuff uh, david pascal of the chattanooga times free press was on um the first part of this podcast and we're talking about you know he and i are old timers like old newspaper guys and we're talking about how things have changed and i don't know a lot about your background but you apparently you work in the georgia college of communications in addition to your doing your stuff for ugasports.com, the rivals site. So can you maybe give me a, give us a brief sort of description of, of what all you do do? 
So let me give you the the backstory of how I got to to this point. So the the dream for me growing up, and, and I'm a kid of the '90s, um, was to be a sports broadcaster. Um, when I realized that I did not have the talent of Chipper Jones, I just wanted to talk about Chipper Jones, uh, and that's kind of the path that I grew up in, in Middle Georgia. Uh, I went to Georgia Southern University for two years. I transferred up to to UGA and graduated uh, with my degree in digital and broadcast journalism. Uh, in 2011. I worked in local television for five years, mostly as a sports anchor and reporter. Um, I got up to sports director at WRBL local TV in Columbus, Georgia. So we covered UGA, obviously, in the state. Auburn was only 45 minutes away. Uh, It was a really great experience just in terms of uh, covering uh, SEC athletics, local stuff in Columbus. A guy that your audience would would know very well, Justin Ross, uh, covered him in high school at Central High School in Phoenix City, Alabama. I just missed uh, EJ Williams. He, he kind of starred there after I left, but um, that it was a great path until, you know, I started asking people my age, do they watch local TV? And they said no. Mm-hmm. So what my fear was uh, is that I was going to get laid off in my 40s uh, with no other marketable skills. So I had to pivot. And at the same time, I met my now wife, who is a uh, speech therapist. And so our hours, you know, if I'm on the anchor desk at 11 o'clock at night and, you know, she's at home sleeping, we're just not going to see each other that much. So left that, became a high school teacher uh, for a year teaching audio and video production, left that worked at a PR agency uh, back up in Athens uh, for a little over a year. Uh, And then I got the job at the uh, Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication as a PR specialist. So I like to say that uh, in the day, I'm the storyteller of the storytellers. And then obviously with UGA Sports at night, uh, I am uh, the storyteller of the athletes. So uh, it's kind of two ladders, climbing them at the same time and and seeing where they lead from there. So when you say PR specialist, just to be clear, you're not teaching PR, you actually are a part of their PR team. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I, I am on part of the external relations team. Uh, so that means website management, social media. Uh, and, and again, this is, you know, for the College of Journalism and Mass Communication at UGA uh, and not specifically for football team or anything sure. like that. Um, so there's some lines that can be blurry there because technically I do receive one paycheck from the university of Georgia. And then I cover Georgia athletics on the other side. And I completely understand that, uh, and and was trained by some of the best journalists in the world of how to be able to manage some of those situations. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, Larry, I think you've had the same experience and fans may not understand it, but, uh, when you cover a team and it's your job, win or loss, you have work to do. Um, and so a lot of the emotion can get pulled out of it and so we're all fans of football but you know i i am not uh, a fan of winners and losers as much as i once was is i'm a fan of stories and so uh you know I, i'm sure that a lot of your audience think oh he's talking to a georgia homer here <laughs> um you know I, I i love athens i love the university of georgia my family is rooted here um but it, it means something different to me than it does probably most fans well having just uh brought my family to athens a few weeks ago for a leisurely weekend. I can tell you this, I am an Athens homer for sure. <laughs> I love that it, town every time I go. It's just uh it's amazing. I don't get there enough. It's it's so close. There's no reason not to go there on a regular basis. 
Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Georgia and Clemson should play every year. And uh, we had uh, Davo Swinney on our uh, podcast with Jim Donovan a couple of weeks ago. He said the same thing. And uh, now I need to ask Kirby Smart and see what he says if uh, Georgia and Clemson ought to play every <laughs> yeah. year. So with, with the Rivals site, is your job mainly the multimedia stuff, like the video podcast and such? Y'all, y'all do that a lot. Um, uh, is that your primary expertise there? Yeah, when I first uh, signed, and I guess it's been three and a half years now, I got connected with Roddy Nabolsi, the publisher of the site, and he had seen some of the game film breakdowns I was just doing on Twitter because I, I still had my skills to work with video. I knew a lot about football from people that I've talked to, obviously, so I was still doing that. And Roddy brought me on um, to kind of enhance the digital coverage that we have. So uh, I've really taken charge of trying to elevate our presence on YouTube and our podcast feeds. Uh, I think I've got some pretty good broadcasting chops to be able to do some of the hosting, but obviously the digital work on the back end is, is helpful too. Um, the other feature that we have kind of continuing with that game film, it's one of our most popular pieces uh, on ugasports.com. It's called Film Don't Lie, mm-hmm. which bothers me because it's in grammatically <laughs> correct. It's not correct grammatically, and I just screwed up even analyzing <laughs> that phrase. Uh, but it needed to be relatable to the audience. And so me and then uh, my my partner on that series is Brent Rollins, who also does some work with Pro Football Focus. So uh, he's kind of the data guy, and I'm kind of the video guy, and we kind of go back and forth on what we see, and that comes out uh, every Sunday after a game day, and then we do some off-season content on it as well. Long answer to your question of yes, mostly digital coverage, some column writing, um, but you know, it's this industry, as you said, it's changed, and you have to be good with words and video and photos and find ways to do it that's in, in a compelling way to stand out. So funny. I, I was a guest on, on your podcast a couple of weeks ago with you and, and Brent and it's Brent, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Brett, but, um, and it was such a great conversation. Um, and, and I, the thing, things are so emotionally charged between both fan bases and especially on message boards and social media that the response, the responses I got on, on our message board was mainly, they were surprised. They're like, wow, those two guys actually sounded like they weren't crazy. And I'm impressed that they sound like they were even handed and objective. And I had to remind them like, okay, one of the guys is really from pro football focus and his job it, it's his job and well, it was both of your jobs of course but you sort of have to remind them like hey you know there are we're, we're still professionals and you know while fans are maybe fighting in the stands uh, uh literally and and fighting figuratively on social media with with the the guys who do it for living for a living it's 99% respectful and and professional Sure. I mean, some of my best friends that I've met have been fellow reporters and um, there's kind of a kindredship with that. But, you know, a lot of that comes with there's a right way and a wrong way to, to do this kind of work. And, you know, it's not to say that you don't have interest in rooting for people, but it really does turn into, you know, rather than rooting for a team to score a touchdown, you root for a person because of what their story is or where they've come from or what you've been able to witness because of, you know, what it means in terms of a, a humanity conquering something else. It's 
that's why we are attracted to sports because, you know, whether it's a failure or a success, the season turns over and you get another shot at it more quickly than you do in real life. Um, and so in that way, I think we're all trained that we want to be fair to the people that we cover. We want to be honest with them. Uh, sometimes that means being critical, but you know, for the most part, you're, you're going to be rooting for, for good, compelling stories. And I think fans, whether they can admit it or not, you know, that's what they, they root for as well. All right. So <clears throat> it, it, over the years, over the last 20 years, I've been doing this 10 years in, in, in newspapers. And then since 08 with tigerillustrated.com frequently have, uh, intern interns and college kids who, who say, man, I really want to do this. What advice would you give me? And over the last decade or so, the advice has gone from, you know, okay, well, you go to a small newspaper and you, you pay your dues, you do whatever they want, they ask you to do, you cover high schools, and then you move up to colleges and, and, and so on. There's this ladder. Whereas more recently, when they asked me, I don't know what to say, because the typical ladder has been just totally disfigured. And you seem like a great example of someone who's industrious and who is really diverse in, in your, your, your talents and, and your, the expertise that you seek, and you're doing a lot of different things. You might be sort of the, the poster child for the new age meet sports media type. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? And I'm sure you are sometimes asked from, uh, by college kids, Hey, how do I, how do I make a living at this? What do you tell them? Well, one, that's quite a compliment. And thank you. I need to add that to my resume <laughs> that, that I'm the prototype for the future. Um, you know, I think there's some basic foundational skills that are going to translate no matter the medium. Uh, you mentioned newspapers. You have to be able to write to any of, to do anything within this industry, even if it's just a small caption for a video. It may not be, you know, a 1200 word column or, or anything like that, that maybe the attention span of the past would, would have room for. Uh, but versatility, I think, is so key uh, when I got hired on with Roddy, it's because I knew how to make a GIF and put it on Twitter. Mm. And I taught myself how to do that. It's not something I learned in college. It's Google searches and learn how to do things on YouTube and uh, kind of be nifty with videos and being able to do it quickly because the stories move faster than ever. And so I think having skills that maybe other people don't know or aren't willing to learn, uh, I think is always a good way to say, hey, I can do this. I can be an asset for your team in this way. Um but frankly, one of the reasons that I am not a 100% full-time journalist as I once was is because the, the industry has got some issues uh, in terms of the business side of it that I think we've all seen. And I have a family of – my wife and I have a, a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter, and I needed stability in terms of health insurance and retirement. And again, I talked about that you know, local TV. I just didn't see that being the healthy way forward if I could help it. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing with newspapers. Uh, and I think local TV is probably on that same path. So my advice to people is uh, develop your skill set and your portfolio, because more than ever, I think people don't care as much about where you worked. It's more about what you can do and how you can develop what they do. So there's a ton of outlets in Georgia and South Carolina that they need digital skill sets more than ever. And so younger people are going to be the ones because they naturally have kind of consumed that and grown up in it uh, to lead the way 
uh, and show people how to, to be better, uh, whether it be on social media or websites or, or what have you. And there's still a ton of skills that I need to learn. Um, but just in terms of the traditional sports reporting, I'd like to think that we bring something different to the table and look, the competition is more steep than ever because anyone can start a blog. Now anyone can start an Instagram page and, and throw news out there. We have to find ways to be different and unique to attract an audience. How often is Don and Jim Don and on, on, on y'all's, uh, podcast? So we do a flagship weekly show, which is UGA Sports Live. That's when uh, Jim Donnan and Rodney Nabolsi and myself uh, talk about whatever happened that week in UGA football. Uh, we also, during the season, have a second podcast with Brent Rollins, myself, and Jim Donnan, where it's more SEC and national college football centric. So during the season twice, uh, all the time once, and then occasionally uh, we'll pop up with some other inter- interviews like the one that we did with uh, Davo Swinney, or we've done some with Paul Feinbaum, Mac Brown, Bruce Feldman. Uh, and frankly, you know, I, I kid with him, but all of that is uh, Coach Donnan's network of just saying this is something that, that we should be doing with, with his friends. And that's fun to do as well. Yeah, it seems like Donnan's a part of the team, you know, like he's, you know, obviously the Davo Swinney interview, I'm guessing doesn't happen if Don, if, if the Donnan connection is not there and he doesn't call in that favor. Right. So it, it seems like coach Don and his, and I covered him back in uh, 99 and 2000 when I was at the Augusta paper, got to know him. It sounds like he, it sounds like he's not just mailing it in that he really is making, taking an active effort and in, in being a part of y'all's team. How dare you assert that I can't just make a phone call and get that us <laughs> when in our podcast. How insulting. <laughs> Um, Coach right. Donnan's a Jim, Jim is a is a delight. He's become a family friend of mine. Um, I, I go swimming at his pool from time to time. Um, he, he's just a really good man. He cares about Athens, and obviously his connection to UGA is that he coached uh, Kirby Smart. And so, uh, I think that's been thrilling for him to see a, a guy under his tutelage from the '90s lead the program now. And you know, he's his football connections and knowledge, it just surprises me every time of how much he knows and how many people he knows and then how many people care about him. It's truly a a testament to the legacy that he's created. All right. So it's no secret that the access, the media access uh, in Athens with the football program is lacking, (laughs) significantly lacking. In fact, a Georgia writer last week, who I will not name, uh, texted me and said, man, it must be so much fun to cover a coach who actually gives you all access to, to his program. How do you guys and girls get away or, or get around? I mean, you're, you're supposed to still provide content, 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 um, a high frequency of content. And yet sometimes there's nothing new how do you how do you get around it? Do you have to be really creative in, you know, when when for example, you know, there's only like one player in a week or or or, or something like that? What is it like? That's journalism, right? So yeah, you have to be creative, and if if the people that you cover don't want to work with you to make it a little easier for you, you find stories, and that happens through relationships, and um, that's not something that you can snap your fingers and that happens. That's in my case, you know, 10, 12 years worth of work to get to know people. Some of it is luck at that point when you're in the same place. And, um, you know, I, I had a phone call with someone around the program for about an hour before I started talking with you. That is one of those things that it just happens. Um, 
you know, and there's some things you can share, some things you can't, but you, you build up and cover it the best that you can. And, you know, I, I think that we all wish that the access was much better. And when you were telling me when you were on our show, uh, of what Clemson has, uh, there's just insane levels of jealousy. <laughs> um, and, but you know, it's, it, it is what it is. We don't make those decisions and, you know, would previous coaching staffs be better? At least in my experience of covering Mark Rick, it was, well, could it be worse? Yeah, it definitely could be worse too. So, you know, is there a right or wrong way to do it from a football standpoint? I, I don't know. Um, I know there's a way that I would prefer it. I think there's a way the fan bases would prefer it. I, I think it probably creates some false narratives when you are so secretive. Um, so at the end of the day, I think access is a big deal. And especially, you know, Kirby Smart and Davis Swinney are two of the most influential people in their states. Um, you could argue that they're the most influential people in their states. And so there should be some level of openness that comes with that. Um, so you just do the job, you meet people and you make connections and, and you try to talk to them and you build trust in them. Okay. So getting to the, this matchup, <clears throat> it seems like from the outside looking in that the attrition that has struck George's team, um, I guess include you can include George Pickens, of course. That's longer term. We've we've known about that for a long time. But Eric Gilbert, his continued absence, and then um, David Pascal and I talked about a couple of the receivers, uh, Karis Jackson and Burton. I guess continue to be out, and then the more recent news, which seems like huge news. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Darnell Washington and uh, Tyke Smith. Apparently, I think you guys reported it as well. They're out out indefinitely. Um, what's your take on all this, and how how big is it in your mind? The biggest concern is that so many of the injuries are happening at the same positions: wide receiver and and tight end. Uh, you talk about going back to George Pickens. You don't replace the George Pickens. That was already an uphill battle to climb just to to figure it out from there because he is one one of the most dynamic receivers in college football, and he's going to be a really good professional receiver. Um, he's the best at Georgia in the last ten years. Maybe going back to AJ Green uh, at wide receiver and. You know, then you think, okay, well, Eric Gilbert's a really talented player. Whatever his situation is, it doesn't seem like he can be relied upon to be a contributor. Could he play against Clemson? Absolutely. Could he not? Absolutely. So that is the definition of not being relied upon. So I think that's the the piece of the attrition that hits the hardest. And combine that with the fact that from a, a fan standpoint, the biggest question for George in the last three years has been, where is the explosive passing attack? Because it's been obvious that whether it's Alabama last season, LSU the year before, Clemson in recent years, you have to have an explosive passing attack to win a national championship. And that seems to be what's been lacking at Georgia. A lot of confidence in JT Daniels, but he's got to throw the ball to, to someone. Uh, although I would argue, and I think we even mentioned this when you were on with us, um, I think there's a lot of question marks with JT Daniels. Uh, I don't think that he should be a top five Heisman odds kind of guy. Um, can he get there? Sure, he's got the talent to do it, but the games he's played, it's it's not really proven against opponents, the caliber of Clemson. And so I, I have a lot of worries about Georgia's offense and, you know, can they overcome them? Sure. Absolutely. They can. There's so much talent on the field and you don't recruit the level that Georgia has and not have talented guys that can step in. But I, I'll just put it this way. If, 
if there was a season for Georgia to have some adversity before the first game, you would hope it would be against Charleston Southern and not Clemson. Yeah. Do you think that the sort of hype or overhype for Daniels in the wake of, of how he performed late last year is overdone largely because it doesn't include the perspective of uh, the, 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 his predecessors couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And so, of course, he's going to look a lot better by comparison. And I'm speaking mainly, I guess, of that, that Florida game where final score does not indicate how close that game was because there were receivers running free left and right. And uh, the the two quarterbacks, I guess, who played in that game just couldn't come close to hitting them. Is Is that maybe the source of your concern that, okay, you, and you mentioned the, his quality, Daniel's quality of competition wasn't that good. And then also maybe it's just magnified. Maybe his, his above average play is, is, is being magnified into something great because of the people who came before him weren't, weren't really good at all. My concern goes back to his freshman season at USC. And mm. I know he's a true freshman. I know that he was young. Uh, I know that things change, but his uh, touchdown turnover ratio was not good. He, he threw way too many uh, interceptions. And then this is one of the, the beauties of working with Brent Rollins at, at Pro Football Focus and the articles that we do. He had uh, a, a lot more turnover worthy plays. And you don't win titles, you don't beat good teams if you turn the ball over too much. In his small sample size at Georgia, it seemed like that had been rectified. Again, that's a small sample size against not the best competition. And I'll I'll say this. Once Georgia plays Clemson, the schedule gets tremendously easier up until the SEC championship game, which the assumption for people around Athens is that Georgia will be there Mm -hmm. um, and that Georgia should be there. So, you know, I look at it and I say, um, can he, against a team like Clemson, which has a really good defensive front. I know cornerback is a bit of an issue. Can he avoid turnovers? And his play at Georgia last season says yes. His much more comprehensive play at USC says that's going to be an issue. Um, and so if Clemson can grab some two or three interceptions, I, I think it's game over, ball game. And then the thing that sticks, another thing that sticks out to me is, and that could well decide this game, is on Clemson's end, dual threat quarterback who can definitely make things happen with his legs. Georgia, I mean, Daniels is a, he's a pocket guy. He is not, uh, he's not mobile by any definition, really correct me if I'm wrong. And I mean, to beat this Clemson defense that appears to be back in its element after sort of some rebuilding over two years, if you don't have a, if you don't have some, somebody who can make things happen when plays break down or run the zone read. And I think even Todd Monken, hit on this uh with his in his last visit with the media i really thought it was interesting and tell me what you think but he said you know we we um we don't have that element of this offense that helps you uh move the ball and helps you be unpredictable with zone reads and things like that we just don't have that kind of quarterback that do you agree that's a that could be a major uh, factor decide it could be a major deciding factor in this game. Are you viewing that the same way? The difference? Yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely the case because the thing that we've seen with football, how it's evolved is that being able to extend plays, not necessarily running out of the pocket, which that's helpful too, but just being able to extend plays and helping the offensive line and receivers kind of catch a second life on a play rather than it being extinguished. 
that's a big deal. And Clemson has more of a chance to do that than Georgia, just based on the mobility of the quarterback. I don't think that it's much more complicated than if you begin to project forward. DJ Uwe Ungalale is very I would say, nice well, job. Thank you. I've a been plus, working very hard. A plus. Uh, he is projected to be a future top five talent in an NFL draft. If you project JT Daniels forward, I think it's probably more of fifth or sixth round flyer. And that's not a shot against him. A lot of good quarterbacks in college football go with that in the NFL draft. But for whatever reason, it seems like Clemson, at least at a potential level, because, you know, his, his DJ Uyunglele, his, you know, resume is a little barren as well. He just hasn't had as many opportunities to play. Also not against the, the best of the best competition. And, uh, and I'm saying the Georgias and, and Alabama's there. Uh, the, I, I think the two quarterbacks have same resume issues, but I mean, let's be frank about it. We Ungle is a more talented player than JT Daniels. And so that is the primary reason that Clemson has an advantage beyond all the other injuries and anything else in this football game. Now, as much as we've talked about Georgia fretting over how they're going to move the ball and score points, Clemson kind of has that element going too on uh, with its offense, mainly because the offensive line, which was not good last year, had problems blocking not just Ohio State, but a number of other teams as well, particularly on the interior. And that is matched against Georgia's absolute strength. How good is this Georgia defensive line? And is my read on them, they're not just talented uh, at, at – with the starters, but they have some outstanding depth as well. Is is that the right read on it? Absolutely. I mean, Georgia's defensive front is probably the best it's been maybe in my lifetime, uh, at least going back to the days of Richard Seymour and Marcus Stroud, which was, you know, Jim Dunn and recruits that ended up playing some under uh, Mark Richt at, at that coaching change. And even then, I don't know that there was the depth there. And that was one of the areas that Kirby Smart wanted to really revamp once he got to Georgia, both sides of the trenches and the secondary. He fixed that. He felt good about it. And uh, he's, he's, done pretty darn well in his what going into his sixth season as George's head coach and uh you know, Jordan Davis should should be in the NFL right now he decided to come back to Georgia um Devontae Wyatt he could be in the NFL right now came back to Georgia you start looking at Jalen Carter and, and Trayvon Walker there's just so much versatility I mean in watching the game film you see a guy like Trayvon Walker who is I think something like 6'4 290 and he's sprinting out with running backs and flat and like staying with them to be able to cover in coverage. It's ridiculous the amount of athleticism on this defense. A lot of former basketball players over there. Uh, Jalen Carter even caught a touchdown on offense last year in one of the jumbo packages. So, they, I mean, they're really good athletes. It's not just the the big hog mile as, as a lot of people like to think. And you start, you know, branching back out to the linebackers. And the Kobe Dean is is one of the best middle linebackers in the country. And you don't have to look far beyond LSU two seasons ago to you know, when you have really good linebackers in the middle, it, it just makes everything else so much easier. Uh, there's more room for error because they cover so much space. And he is true freshman SEC championship game. Nicobe Dean was sprinting out wide as part of the field to cover Clyde Edwards Alaire and held his own and, mm. and stopped him from uh, catching passes on inside slants. And so that was as a true freshman. Now he's a junior and he's healthy. So Georgia's defensive front's really good. And Clemson, I do think will have uh, some issue running the football. So obviously the feeling is and Georgia's had some issues defending the pass, as, as you mentioned, the feeling over there is okay. 
you can cover up a lot of issues if you're if you're dominant uh, on the line of scrimmage. That said, um, what is the feeling? I mean, now with Tyke Smith uh, likely out, and I had some questions about him to begin with because I don't know how much man coverage he played at West Virginia. Really, um, what is the feeling about the back end right now of Georgia's defense that, that's going to have to cover some some really tall and athletic receivers of Clemson's? From a safety position, it's led by Lewis Seen, and he's just a headhunter. He he is uh, he's improved his coverage ability, but he is such a physical, hard tackler. Uh, Georgia feels pretty good about him and, and Christopher Smith, who stepped in and played in the Peach Bowl against Cincinnati at the safety spots. There, there's a lot of uh, age and talent, uh, I would say there. Even though, you know, Christopher Smith is is not the, the highly rated recruit that Richard LeCount was that started for what four years at Georgia. Um, he's an athletic guy and it's kind of his time to shine. So I think that they feel good about that. Like you said, that star position gets a little, a little wonky without Tyke Smith. You had concerns about, um, you know, the, the man versus zone coverage. I had concerns just with his overall size, a little bit undersized Mm -hmm. for what Georgia typically likes at that position. Fortunately, uh, Latavius Brini, uh, is still on the team and he's back. And I think Georgia feels good about him contributing there, even in, in Tyke Smith's absence. Most of the question marks are going to be a cornerback. And yeah, you know, that that's, <laughs> again, I, I think I did this in a tweet with you, the Spider-Man meme where they're looking at each <laughs> other and pointing it, it's that's Georgia and Clemson looking in a mirror where there's some weaknesses at cornerback, obviously Darion Kendrick DK being at UGA is experienced. That helps a lot. You know, he's going to be amped up for this game. You also know that the receivers on Clemson's side are going to be amped up to burn him. So that's just going to be fascinating endlessly. Um, and the other probably starting corner is going to be uh, Keely Ringo. And he is one of the highest rated recruits that Georgia has gotten in recent years. And he missed all of last season injured uh, his freshman year. So this is his first college football game. Um, I think he may have played, you know, some special team stuff, some garbage time stuff, like this is his, his first real assignment and uh, the talent is unquestioned. I mean, he is, his name is buzzing from, mm. from practice, but that's still unproven. And mm-hmm. so who's he going to be matched up on? It's going to be a really good receiver. Um, can it be a star out the gate potentially, but you know, for me, I always want to see it with these guys first, because I don't care what level of football you played when it's a Georgia versus Clemson. Um, you, you find out who's really ready for that moment. It sounds like we're both predicting 16 to 13 either way. <laughs> I'm never predicting that only because, you know, you look at these yeah. big games. I was telling someone earlier this week, it's like, you know, the concerns on Georgia's offense is you're not going to be to Clemson 18 to 14 or something like that. Uh, I think the team that scores mid thirties is going to be the one that wins this game. And um, I think Clemson is more likely to do that. Georgia absolutely can. Uh, the talent is there, but Man, I'd feel a lot better about Georgia's chances if if the quarterback situation was reversed. You think Georgia, even with with all this attrition, can put up thirty plus? Uh, honestly, no. I, I I do think the talent is there. That like things could happen if the defense gets a score, if you get the special teams kind of thing. If you're asking me, do I think the offense can go out there and score five touchdowns? I would find that to be unlikely. Yeah. Okay. We know. So Clemson, in terms of people, they hate the most. South Carolina is off the map <laughs> because they're just so bad. Uh, Florida State, same thing. Uh, 
Georgia fans are who Clemson fans despise the most right now. I think that's 100% clear. I think they more respect Alabama um, than, than, than despise them. But Georgia's just so close, and they're you know in the same towns, and they hear from them more, and there's more strife. What, what do Georgia fans right now think of Clemson fans, and where are they in the, I guess, where is Clemson in the hatred hierarchy of, uh, of Georgia fans? Georgia has so many rivals, yeah. so this conversation gets muddy so quickly, right? So, like, the top three for most any Georgia fan, and it's going to depend on geography, uh, but then also age, because different eras, I think, dislike different teams more. Uh, Florida, number one. That that's the chief. Um, Steve Spurrier took that to a new level in the '90s, and Urban Meyer and, and his crew in the 2000s, and uh, the geography of of Georgia and Florida. Uh, that's a big deal. Auburn is also right there. Uh, and then you know there's a segment of the fan base, although I do think it's waning a little bit because it's been so one-sided uh, with Georgia Tech, and you know that's. I think a rivalry almost needs to be more competitive sometimes, but you know, you let Georgia lose to Georgia tech one time. And that feels like the most shameful, embarrassing thing uh, <laughs> in the history of university of Georgia. So it, it only takes one time for that one to get reignited. I don't even, I'm sure for some people in Northeast Georgia off I 85 or, uh, you know, some of the Georgia people that live in South Carolina and North Carolina, I'm sure Clemson's higher on their list. But honestly, I would say for most people, it doesn't crack the top five mm. because they're not playing regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would think Tennessee's probably higher on that list. South Carolina's probably right there uh, just because a lot of Georgia fans have had bad experiences in williams Bryce Stadium, uh, both on the field and off of it. And uh yeah, if anything, I think there's a there's a level of jealousy that Clemson has gotten over whatever hump that Georgia hasn't. Yeah. And I do think that there is a segment of the fan base that and I'm sure you hear this all the time from from other fan bases, uh that Davo Swinney's good old boy Mayberry routine that that gets old after you win a few <laughs> national championships. And while it was endearing and enticing at first, I think a lot of fans I uh, get tired of, of the little old Clemson routine. It's not little old Clemson anymore. It's powerhouse Clemson. Um, and so maybe there's a level of honesty that the fans would want more about that. But I really do think that's more about Dabo and not necessarily Clemson fans, but you know, that that's also in the circles that I'm around. So that's going to be different for different segments of the fan base. Yeah. The deeper context you, you referenced uh, in terms of recent years, the last five or six years, Clemson has 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 what Georgia wants like and they did yeah. it they got those two trophies with two quarterbacks from the Peach State including and and you can feel free to disagree but the the casual recruiting of Deshaun Watson by Mike Bobo and Mark Richt is going to go down in infamy uh because he wanted to go there but they slow played him they, um, who was it? Bryce Ramsey that they were hot and heavy for who ended up being a punter, I think. Yeah. yeah. And that, that could have changed the whole course of not just Georgia football, but Clemson football, because Clemson, if, if Georgia gets him, Clemson d- doesn't. And then well, you Ge- start, you start thinking about the butterfly effect on that. Yeah. Uh, here, all right, let, let's go. This is kind of hypothetical world, but there's some reporting behind it as well. Let's say Deshaun Watson ends up at Georgia. That probably lengthens Mark Rick's time at Georgia mm-hmm. uh, because that he would have been a tremendous starting quarterback, uh, assuming all things are equal. 
Um, although I think if Deshaun Watson were to tell you honestly, he was able to do more at Clemson than he probably would have been allowed to do at Georgia at that time frame. Regardless, um, if Marwick doesn't get fired, Kirby Smart doesn't get hired. What was the job that was available for Kirby Smart that was floated out there that probably helped uh, Greg? South Carolina. It was was South Carolina that flirtation was happening. So if Deshaun Watson doesn't end up at Clemson, does that mean Kirby Smart ends up at South Carolina and Clemson fans have to see him in that capacity trying to build that program? And I go back even further. I mean, mean, Georgia fans are want to kill me for saying this because it's probably torture, but I go back to Cam Newton. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mark Rick told him he was a tight end. (laughs) I'm sorry, but if you start there, then you're able to get Deshaun Watson, and then you're probably able to get Trevor Lawrence as well. It's a a quarterback factory, Uh, but I think you make a great point. The the rigged offense wasn't as conducive to – Deshaun Watson flourishing or Cam Newton flourishing like they did. They, he was just sort of behind that curve, so to speak, more traditional, I, I guess. And so I think that's a great point for sure. And maybe, you know, he evolves and he get there. He gets there. You know, I think Mark Rick gets a bit of a bad rap for the the end. I mean, Georgia State recruited really well. It's just Kirby Smart has, has done it better consistently. And the same problems that Georgia had in terms of talent at quarterback – I mean, I think you could argue that it's kind of the same yeah. thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is was Jake Fromm much better than Aaron Murray, or do we know that JT Daniels is much better than them? Justin Fields was, but he didn't <laughs> stay at Georgia. Uh, and that's, you know, going to be in the crawl of Georgia fans for a long time for how that situation was handled, because in retrospect, it's absolutely 100% clear. Um, I even go back to a decision that doesn't get as much chatter is in the season that Georgia goes to the national championship game when Jacob Eason is healthy again, should he not? I mean, I know Jake Fromm led Georgia, if you want to say it was a low scoring game to a win at Notre Dame. But if Jacob Eason was the most talented quarterback, should he not have gotten his job back? Mm. I mean, that's playing against the result at that point because Jake Fromm helped lead Georgia to a national championship appearance and get to overtime. But, you know, the job as a coach is to play the best quarterback. And if at the beginning of the season, it was Jacob Beeson, what changed in three weeks? Dan Young, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you joining us and really, really looking forward to this matchup, I guess, which is now 15, 16 days away. It's going to be great. I'm excited to have some uh, fresh football to talk about because I feel like (laughs) it's been a couple of off seasons at this point. (laughs) Absolutely. Have a good one, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Larry. All right. That was great. Getting some, Georgia perspective. Also, always enjoy talking the industry type stuff. For some of you younger folks out there, maybe students who are aspiring to to do something sports related, the media world, all that stuff. Really interesting perspective on both counts with David Pascal and Dan Young. Appreciate them. Also appreciate our very loyal six sponsors of the podcast. And most important, thanks to all of you for hitting play every week. Appreciate it. Everybody be safe. Have a great weekend. Cheers.